0: Good morning, welcome to Morning Hour Chapel, whether you're worshiping with us live or live streaming. Nope, leave it there, it's fine. We are blessed to have you with us today. Oh, I can still stand on that. I didn't. <laughs> Just a quick announcement. My family knows me so well. <laughs> Just a quick announcement, since we uh, had no one express interest in being baptized, the next week uh, the baptism is going to be postponed. Uh, We're going to try again for the summertime. If anybody is interested in baptism, you can start letting me know now. Uh, And we will be arranging something, I believe, at the home of the Andersons. They have a pool that uh, has been used in the past. And uh, we will plan a, a summer baptism. Also want to congratulate those of you who were able to finish the Bible in 90 Day Challenge. How many of you? Well, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you were able to complete the Bible in 90-day challenge, um, that happened. That that finished this past week. Um, but I also want to encourage those of you who have not finished to continue reading. Uh, just keep going. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. But read it every day. Uh, read a chapter. Read some verses. Read uh, as much as you can. And. And if you finished reading through the Bible, read through it again. You don't have to do it in 90 days, um, but you know, look for maybe. You know, right now I'm, I just started a one-year plan that's that's through a chronological kind of thing. So it's just getting into God's Word every single day, reading it, knowing what's there because God thought it was important. God thought it was pretty crucial that we know who He is. And he inspired all of these people to write down these things that he told them to write down. And my prayer is that by participating in this challenge, by participating in Bible reading every single day, that, that you have started building a habit of spending some time every day in Scripture and spending some time uh, every day with God. Read his word. Talk to him. Listen to him. Because experts tell us that it takes uh, at least 21 days of consistently doing something in order to build up a habit. But even after the 21 days, it takes another 90 days, they say, on average, some a little more, some a little less, to take that habit and make it a permanent lifestyle change. So I mean, you're looking at a 101 days on average that it takes you to change something in your life, and we're not used to doing that. We are used to um, instant diets, lose 30 pounds in a week if you drink this, and also starve yourself and 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 everything else. Or you know, we have instant hair restoration, which is obviously not true. We have instant everything, but that's not the life that we live. That's not the life we live in any capacity. We spend 12 years in in primary school, grades 1 through 12, learning how to talk, learning how to write, learning how to add and subtract and multiply. We we, we spend, and, and every day, we're there. We spend all of this time in college learning how to do something that we're going to turn into a career that we're going to do for the rest of our lives. And even after we get into a career, how many of you still have to do continuing education? How many of you still have to learn stuff? It doesn't stop just because you get that diploma, just because you hang it on the wall. You've got to keep going and time with God, building a life that is pleasing to God is not an instantaneous thing. It is something that takes time. And when we read Scripture every day, when we pray every day, not only are we working to build a better lifestyle, a lifestyle pleasing to God, but we're also working to tear down some of the not-so-great things that are in our lifestyle. We're trying to get unstuck from our old way of doing things so that we can make at least some aspect of our lives newer, can make it fresher, can make it better. When you go on a diet, you are making these changes because hopefully you want to live longer, you want to have a better uh, you know, quality of life, you want to be able to go hiking or biking, you want to be able to hold your grandchildren You want to be able to do those things, and these are lifelong changes. And last week, we started a sermon series called A Restoration Project. And we looked at how the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the grave provided us with a way back to a relationship with God the Father. Jesus paid this cost of sin that came into the world way back in the Garden of Eden, and he purchased our souls. And he justifies us. He stands before the Father and says, I have purchased this person's soul. I have paid their debt to you. They are now innocent. They owe you nothing, Father. Please welcome them into your family. And we call this justification, and that's a big churchy-sounding word that simply means we no longer owe God for our sin. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at what happens after Jesus buys us, after Jesus justifies us before the Father. We're going to explore what it means to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives here on earth so that we can be useful to God for building his kingdom, because that is our job. That is what we are called to do when we call Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. We are called to build God's kingdom. And all of the changes that we make throughout the rest of our lives, there's a big churchy word for that too, it's called sanctification. Sanctification basically means being set apart for a purpose. And when we talk about it in the way of of living a life for God, we are being set apart for a holy purpose. And our holy purpose is, in Jesus' own words, to make disciples of all nations by being His witnesses, by testifying about the things that we have experienced through our own lives, In Jesus Christ. So what happens after we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And we believe that God raised him from the dead. And we confess our sins. We say, yes, Father, we are sinners. We we need to be forgiven. How does this declaration change us? Or maybe a better question is, how should this declaration change us? Because for some people, it doesn't change as much, but it should. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 to 23, the Apostle Paul writes, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. The master of the house is God the Father. And the goal of the life of every Christ follower should be to be set apart as holy, to be made useful to God and be ready to do good work. That's the goal. That's our purpose. If you ever want to know what God's will is, that's God's will for you. To become useful for his purposes. But if that's the goal, how do we get there? What's that road map to sanctification or to, I like to call it, restoration? How do we become new? How do we become useful to God? Paul goes on in this passage And he writes, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, love, faith, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Anybody ever get involved in a foolish, ignorant controversy? I am a horrible social media person. If I get on the social media, Wendy's shaking her head yes. When I get on the social media and somebody says something boneheaded, I'm going to talk to them about it. And I'm probably not going to be nice about it either. You're pretty active on Twitter. (laughs) I am actually no longer active on Twitter, and, and I'll tell you that story some other time. But I was convicted very recently to delete my Twitter account. But we'll talk about that. Some other time. Thank you, though, Tommy, for that. (laughs) But I'm horrible. I get involved in these foolish, ignorant controversies that breed quarrels. And the sad thing is they have nothing to do with God. They have nothing to do with what I'm supposed to be doing. Good works for the kingdom. It's just me being human and stupid. That's what happens when we get involved in these foolish, ignorant controversies. But Paul writes uh, a letter to the Corinthians as well. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul's going to give us a list here of the things that God is displeased with. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And again in Galatians, another church he's writing to. Galatians 5, 19-21, Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All these things and more, Paul says. Paul's running out of ink here at the end of this letter to the Galatians. All these things and more. They are the sins that prevent us from inheriting the kingdom of God. And there's one thing that we need to remember about those passages that we just read in Corinthians. In Galatians, Paul is talking to the church. Paul's not talking to the world. He's talking to us. He's talking to people who have professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they're still doing these things. Christians still sin. Anybody here not sin? It's okay, you can raise your hand. We'll laugh at you. Christians still sin. And we still sin because we live on earth. And we live in the midst of the rule of Satan. Satan still rules this earth. And we still live on it. And we're still involved with all of the institutions and all of the people that are in it. But we sin because we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to get us unstuck from our sinful acts. We haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to get us unstuck from this cycle of temptation and sin. And I know That it is difficult sometimes. We must undergo a complete transformation. A complete transformation. We must allow the Holy Spirit to help us build new habits, to help us build a lifestyle that is pleasing to God. And almost always, that means that we have to allow the Holy Spirit to take us apart. Completely. We have to be willing to be broken down completely by the Holy Spirit. Before he can start building our new lives. Last week I introduced you to this antique uh, French bread slicer. You guys remember the French bread slicer. Some of you were really upset with the scraping sound that it made. This rusty, filthy thing—I don't know if I have—I don't think I have a picture of it. Uh, we'll wait. This rusty, filthy thing that barely resembles what it once was, and certainly has become useless. I would not want to slice my bread with that thing. I don't want to eat rust. I don't want to eat dirt and grime and whatever else has been accumulating on this thing for years. But I want you to take a look at this video. It's about three minutes long. I want you to pay attention. What happens? to this bread slicer just in this couple of minutes of video thing we took that thing apart. Anybody want to eat from something that has all of that grime and everything in the middle of the screws and all that? No. We don't want to do that. We won't want to use that thing. The first thing we notice that the restorer does is he uses penetrating oil. WD-40, right? What's the saying? If it doesn't move, use WD-40 and it'll move, right? Penetrating oil, and he uses it on all these moving parts, the nuts and the bolts, Of the slicer. The things that make it move. Everything that holds it together. And everything that's causing it to be useless. It can't be moved. It can't be used for its purpose. And as Christians. We will never be useful. For the kingdom of God. Until we allow the Holy Spirit. To penetrate us. To penetrate our hearts. To penetrate our minds. With the power of the Holy Spirit. And with the love. Of God, And you notice that the restorer doesn't just give a little tiny little spritz, right? It doesn't happen all at once. I mean, he's spraying that stuff on there and it's running down all over the place. He sprays these things until they are completely saturated. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just give us a little bit of power. The Holy Spirit doesn't give us just a little spritz of God's love. He knows that he must fill us with his power and his love if he is going to loosen these hard hearts that we have, if he's going to loosen these stubborn minds that we have. And the Holy Spirit wants to give us this power. He wants to give us this love, and he wants to do it in good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You farmers in here, if you've ever dealt with grain and you pour some grain into the bag and then you kind of smoosh it down a little bit so you can get more in, and you can get more in, and you keep pouring, and finally the bag starts to, to, to overflow and you know that you can't get any more into that bag. That's how much love and power the Holy Spirit wants to give us. How much power can we experience? Some of us have barely ever experienced that kind of power. Some of us still feel like we haven't experienced that kind of love. But let me tell you about the power that the Holy Spirit wants to give to us. And it's a lot more than the lights that Renee was showing to the kids this morning. It's a lot more even than being plugged in to a constant power source. This is the amount of power the Holy Spirit wants to give us in Romans chapter 8 verse 11. if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I mean, can we even begin to conceive of that amount of power? This power that raised someone from the dead. Now, some of you have had experience with uh, defibrillators, right? You've seen them work, or at least you've seen them on ER or... You know, one of the the, the medical, show, you know, the thing that they, you know, they charge it up and then they say clear and they, and the guy like jumps halfway off of the floor. The modern defibrillator sends up to a thousand volts of electricity into the heart to try to get it beating again. Thousand volts, and it can be successful, but it has to happen quickly because the brain. For every second that the heart is not beating, the brain is not getting enriched uh, oxygen, which travels through the blood. So it can take maybe minutes before blood flow has completely stopped. So we want to use this thing, and we want to we want to we want to try to keep that heart going when we do CPR. CPR forces the blood forces the blood through the heart. To keep the blood going into the brain. Jesus' heart stopped beating at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. He rose again sometime around 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. A thousand volts wasn't going to be enough to raise Jesus from the dead. And it is difficult, I know it is difficult to imagine the amount of power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead, but the Holy Spirit has that power. It is the power of God who created all things that rose Jesus from the dead. And the thing is, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you have access to that power. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you with that power. And we see so many Christians today feeling so powerless because they are not plugging into. They are not allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. They're not Powerful. God loves us so much that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the power of the Holy Spirit has more than enough to restore us to being useful to God's kingdom. It has more than enough power to help us to know what God wants us to be doing. And to raise our bodies up as useful instruments for God. One of the main tools that the Holy Spirit uses to penetrate our hearts and our minds is God's Word, the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul refers to God's Word as the sword of the Spirit. And in Hebrews 4.12, we read, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Holy Spirit will use the Word of God to penetrate our heart's And penetrate our minds, our thoughts. I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of us in here are tempted by something? How many of us in here are tempted by something that we've been tempted by for years, decades? Something that we just can't shake. Something that gets us in trouble over and over and over again. I have those things. I have a feeling some people here have those things. The power of the Holy Spirit knows what is tempting us. The power of the Holy Spirit can, if we let Him, Help us to overcome those temptations. And one of the primary ways that he does that is through the words of God. Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit would come and he would remind us of everything that he taught while he lived here on earth. And everything that he taught that God wants us to know is in the Bible. It's in His Word. And the Holy Spirit wants to teach it to us. He wants to teach us how to hold up under temptation. The Spirit's power can help us to withstand this temptation and to pursue righteousness. We can leave that temptation behind and live a life that is pleasing to God the Father. The penetrating oil on the bread slicer was used to get all the, move, the moving parts moving again. That's what we use it for. But the restorer had to use a hammer on some of those parts. Remember the little hammer? Um, earlier, in the, I, I cut the video a little bit just for time, but he called it Thor's hammer. And he's got that little hammer and he's just dinging away. And he's banging on this thing in order to get it to move. And he tapped gently on the bolts. Finally got the wrench in there, was able to move the thing. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has his own little Thor's hammer? The Holy Spirit has a little hammer called conviction. And he uses it to tap gently on our hearts and on our minds. He doesn't take a sledgehammer to us, although sometimes I wish he would. Especially me, because I think I could probably use it. But he uses this little hammer of conviction. He wants to help us understand that the sin that we do or the, the sin that we're tempted to do, even after we've become followers of Jesus Christ, is not pleasing to God. Sometimes we call that conscience. People call that conscience. They Like the, some, something's tapping on my shoulder. Holy Spirit's not tapping on your shoulder. He's tapping on your heart. He's tapping on your mind. He's saying, stop. Remember who you are and whose you are. Those things that Paul wrote, he wrote to the churches. These were people who confessed Christ that were doing things that were not pleasing to God. And until we are able to recognize how we ought to live and how we ought not to live, it's going to be difficult to be fully restored. There's always going to be that dirt in the screws that doesn't even allow you to get the screwdriver in there. There's always going to be that grime and that mold up underneath. When we hang on to sins, when we resist the gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit, we remain less useful to God than we should be. Now that's not to say that God won't use us. But i got to tell you something. The blessings of the use of God in our lives can be so much more. When we live lives that are pleasing to Him, when we resist temptation, when we listen for that conviction and admit to ourselves And confess to God that yes, these things that I'm doing are sin. And I know that I've already been forgiven of sin. But I'm still committing sins. I'm still committing those things. You know why? Because I'm not sanctified yet. I haven't been torn down or more accurately, I haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to tear me down and rebuild me. Holy Spirit wants to restore us. The next step for our restorer was taking that bread slicer apart. And he undid the bolts and he did all the screws. He took the handle apart with his little hammer, laid out all of the parts. Right there at the very end of the video, he just kind of surveys the whole thing what has to happen what do I need to do what's the next step what's the plan are there things that I can use are there things that I need to throw away remember that little brass plate that he kind of snapped in half because he had to use the screwdriver to get those or the uh, drill to get those screws out because they couldn't get them out any other way got to throw that away gotta replace it gotta put something new in its place And this whole bread slicer was laid bare on this table. And when we open ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit, when we open ourselves completely to restoration, to sanctification, when we lay ourselves bare and surrender completely to God's will and his plan for us, We can begin the work that we need to do to live holy, set-apart, useful lives. Oh yeah, that's right. We have work to do. We have work to do in this process. The Holy Spirit works in us. He works through us to see that we know and understand what it looks like to live a holy life. But we are not passive observers. In this process, we are active participants. We're gonna do some work. We are called to do many things, which, when we profess to be Christians and we read about in Scripture and we know in Scripture what Jesus has told us, He expects of us. We know that we're called to do many things. We're called to read and study and know Scripture. And even to teach it to our children and to each other. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5-9 to says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why would God tell us to do these things? Why would God say, you need to teach this, and you need to talk about it, and you need to learn it, you need to write it down publicly? Why would God want us to talk about his words and bind them to our hands, paint them on our doorposts? Psalm 119.11 has the answer. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word is our primary weapon against sin. How do we know what sin is? God told us. In His Word. How do we know what righteousness is? God told us. In His Word. Everything is there. But we got some work to do. We got to read it. We got to study it. And I know some of you are sitting there and I can tell on your faces you are just sick and tired of me talking about reading and studying the Bible all the time. I've been talking about it for months. Sorry. Not sorry. If you are struggling with something that the Holy Spirit has been gently hammering you about, whether it's something that you should be doing or something that you should not be doing or something that you're tempted to do that you're not supposed to be doing. Knowing and obeying God's word is how you strike back. It is how you flee temptation. And it's how you ask forgiveness when you make a mistake. That's a big problem for a lot of Christians, because the enemy wants to hold you down. He wants to get you away from the word. He wants to get you away from God, and anytime you make a mistake, anytime you fall, anytime you give in to a temptation that you have been struggling with, he's going to tell you, "See? You're not really God's child. You're not really forgiven. You're not really sorry. You still belong to me. Christians, that is a lie. If you fall into temptation, if you act in sin, the last thing the Father wants you to do is hide. It's been that way since Adam. God didn't want Adam to hide from him once he had eaten the fruit, but that's what Adam did. He wanted to get as far away from God as possible. God doesn't want that for you. So if you are struggling with something, instead of running away from God, you need to run closer to God. You need to get into His Word, and you need to pray. You need to ask forgiveness, of course. And you need to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to overcome that temptation the next time it comes up because it will come up over and over and over again. And don't ever think, don't ever think that you won't be tempted in that way. You'll get lulled into that false sense of security. Well, I haven't done that thing in over a year. I'm good. I don't need to worry about it anymore. And that's when the enemy will strike. That's when the enemy will come and will, it it won't be the same temptation, but it'll be just slightly a little bit different. And that's what he wants. He wants us to fall. He wants us to sin. And we don't have to do that. Knowing and obeying God's word. Storing up his word in our hearts so that we have it as our weapon to strike back against the enemy. That is what God wants. That is what the Holy Spirit will use in you. Of course, sometimes we have trouble. We, we struggle with how to study the Bible. We struggle with reading the Bible because some of it, let's face it, is boring. Some of it is repetitive. How many times can we read who begat who in the Bible? Right? It's difficult sometimes. And sometimes we we read and we pray and we try to understand what's in God's Word and, and we just don't get it. Even if we're asking the Holy Spirit, if, if, if we can't get that focus, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we need to learn how to learn. Right? In almost every aspect of our lives, we need to learn how to learn to do things. We need to learn how to listen for the Holy Spirit's teaching as we're reading and studying the Bible. This summer, starting on Tuesday, July the 6th, and running for nine weeks, Morning Hour Chapel is going to offer a course called Discipleship 101, Exploring the Bible. It's going to be 90 minutes over nine Tuesdays. We're going to explore how to read the Bible, how to study it through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at different types of Bible studies. There's something called the inductive method of Bible study. There's something called the topical method, the biographical method, and many more. And we're going to take a look at some of those things. Because some of those things, biological is really fun. Because when we can learn that the people in the Bible were the same as us, things can open up. The Holy Spirit can start doing some real work. We're also going to learn how to memorize passages in the Bible. No, not memorize them in the Bible. I hate that. We're going to store God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. Sometimes we don't have a Bible handy. We left our phone in the car. More details are going to come about uh, this course in May. But if you want to save those dates... uh, looking at Tuesdays from 6:30 to 8 from July 6th through August 31st. Engaging in the Bible is one of the most important things that we as Christians can do. 2 Timothy 3:16 to 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And there are some other important things that we ought to be doing as followers of Jesus Christ, some of the things he commanded, some of the things that Christ modeled for us. And over the next few weeks, we're also going to look at how these things can help us to allow the Holy Spirit to restore us to lead us to new life, to make us useful for every good work of the kingdom of God. Folks, we got work to do. Are you ready? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. Mostly we thank you for your grace and your mercy that show us forgiveness when we are in our eyes, in others' eyes, unforgivable. Father, we ask that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, so that we might live lives that are pleasing to you. And that we might learn how to flee those temptations that have been hounding us for years. Father, as a church, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. Deliver us from evil. And to lead us into righteousness for your name's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of us feel like we're not important enough to do the work of God's kingdom. Every single one of us can be useful. Every single one of us And bring glory to God with whatever we do. As you go out this week, pray that you will hide God's word in your heart and store it up. That you might not sin against him. God bless you.